Our scripture lesson today, uh, again, comes from the Gospel of Mark uh, as we continue through the good news of the first gospel, um, written, that is, uh, in Mark chapter 2. Let's share in God's good word together. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. A friend of mine gave me insight into the story about Jesus and his disciples that I'd heard before, but it's just taken on whole new meaning. Rabbis were the most honored, respected, revered people anywhere. I mean, the best of the best of the best are the only ones who got to be rabbis. And this rabbi comes down the beach and says to you, come follow me. Well, what's he really saying? What he's really saying is, I think you could do what I do. He's he's saying, you can be like me. All of this, to me, has huge implications for how we understand Jesus. I mean, faith in Jesus is important. But what about Jesus? Faith in us. What about Jesus' faith in you? What if Jesus sees things in you that you can't even see in yourself? Last week we remember that God's voice broke open the heavens and fell on Jesus. And he said, this is my son, my chosen, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. I just, I wonder if Jesus doesn't think a lot more of you than you think of you. We get so tied up and, you know, where's my faith or do I have faith enough to be baptized or do I have faith enough to follow or do I have faith enough to join the church or do I have faith enough to do what God calls me to do? What about God's faith in you? The scripture tells us that Jesus prays for you. He prays for us. And I've got to believe that that's a good prayer. It's a mighty good prayer. This unexpected Jesus. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out and we're going to continue on and Find these things that Jesus does that are so unexpected. Last week we started off the series. We'll be doing this for the month of January. Uh, and we, we learned this. And that is that we often see what we expect to see. Will you say that with me? We often see what we expect to see. Isn't that true? You, you, just, you go in and, and you expect to see this thing. So for those of you who are still struggling from last week, here it is again. You've got the old woman. You've got the young woman. I hope you've seen them both by now. And I know that some of you have really struggled with the old man and the young man. I promise you, they're both there. And um, so hopefully you, you can see those. But we expect to see, what we expect to see is what we've seen before. And so we, we often see what we expect to see, and what we expect to see is what we've seen before. And that's why it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Right? In some ways, it's harder to learn things the older we get because we think we already know the answer. We think we know how the story goes. We expect to see what we've seen before. And our mind immediately goes right there. So our context for today's scripture, I I want you to kind of hold at bay what you think you know about this story. Because there's a lot to the background of this story. The context is this. Um, that rabbis were the most honored, most revered, most respected people in town. 
Uh, it's hard for us to get our minds around it, but there's no separation of church and state. That's not going to happen until the American uh, experiment about 200 years ago. So whatever the religious leader of the group says went for everybody. There's no difference between religious law and the law of the land. It's the same thing. And so whoever the rabbi was not only knew the law, but they got to say what the law meant and how it was to be interpreted year after year after year. So if you were the rabbi, if you got to say what the law meant and and how it was going to go down in your area, you were the guy. Everything came in and through the rabbi. Everything went to and through the priest. If you were not clean, you had to be made clean by the rabbi, by the priest. You had to come to him and they had to say yes or no to you. This was the most revered, most respected, most important person in town. And little kids all around the town, as you might imagine, um, if you know, they want to be the best of the best, they want to be the top, and so they would go to synagogue. They would go to these, uh, basically, our, our, as close as we get to this would be um, church and Christian school, all wrapped up together. So if you were a little one, you would begin with Beit Sefer. Uh, and Beit uh, is the word that means house. So if you've ever been to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, it's house of bread, right? So that's Bethlehem, house of bread. Here it is Beit Sefer, house of book, particularly the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. If you know them, say them with me. They are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So if you were age six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you would go to school. You would go to Beit Sefer, and you would learn. You would memorize. You would be taught verbally um, all the words of the Torah, the law. And there's a local synagogue teacher, and they would begin teaching the children the Torah, these first five books. And they would memorize them, and they would sing songs, and they would lick pieces of honey because um, the scripture was to be like honey in your life, sweet and nourishing. The kids would love to go and to learn and to listen and to be taught the ways of God. And if you were the best of the best, if you were the smartest of the smart, if you were the kid that knew the answer, when the rabbi would start to roll out scripture and you could say the next scripture or he would roll out a scripture and you could say the scripture that came before it. And remember, there is no chapter and verse distinctions, friends. That's not going to happen until the Gutenberg Bible and the printing press in like 1400, right? So there's no, tell me what John 3.16 means. One, there's no New Testament. But two, there's no chapter and verse. That's only for the printers, Right, So this is an oral tradition laid down. And so the rabbi would say something and the kids would say either that back or the scriptures before and after. And if you were the very best little 10-year-old, you were the very top of the class, then you could go on to Beit Talmud, the house of learning. And so if you were just, you know, the kid in your area and you were really, really, really sharp, you could go on to Beit Talmud. Everybody say Beit Talmud with me. And it means house of learning. So from ages 10 to 14, what might what we would consider something like middle school or, or even high school today, to be the best of the best, the students continue on to memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Memorize. I want you to, to think through this. This is the Bible, right? And so here we are. Um, this is going to be um, Ecclesiastes, wisdom literature, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, First and Second Kings, Nehemiah, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Jonah, Zechariah, memorized, cold. And the rabbi would roll out a scripture, 
And if you were the best of the best, you would be able to say either the scripture before or the scripture after. They would just give you a verse and you would memorize it. And then you would learn to ask questions. Well, Rabbi, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength? What does it mean in Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself? And you begin to question the rabbi and to answer. And the rabbi would say something like, oh, you've, you've learned this well. And so students will begin to learn the art of questioning. What do these scriptures mean? How do we incorporate them into our life today? And of course, we know our Savior, Jesus, a student of the book, the student of, of Torah, he would have been found in the temple. So the scripture says in Luke 2.46, After three days, they found Jesus, him, meaning Jesus, in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, we know that Jesus is going to be roughly 12, 13, 14 years of age at this time. 12, probably. Right? Today, if you are a Jewish boy, you're going to be bar mitzvahed at 13 plus one day. So this is about the time that Jesus is now. We know, if you put this together, he's going to be Beit Talmud. This is not surprising to us with Jesus being the best of the best, Beit Sefer. He's now in Beit Talmud, and he's learning. He's questioning. He's at the temple. He's doing the things that a 12-year-old Jewish boy would do if you were the very best of the best. So that's what he's doing. But then, if you had somehow learned and done the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you had gone into Beit Talmud and you learned how to question and learned how to interpret, then you might have the chance to do what would be the equivalent of of the NBA for our little basketball players at the Y. This sort of movement, something that every child wanted to do, the thing that was your ticket out of the village, the thing where you didn't have the back-breaking work of your father and your mother, that you could be the one that everybody looked to, the one that people would go, wow, did you hear that? Can you believe that? You'd go to Beit Midrash. The house of study, right? The house of study. And this would begin for a Jewish boy at about 14 where he would present himself to a well-known rabbi requesting entrance into the rabbi's house of study. And this was for life. And this was wherever the rabbi went. It was no longer at your local village. Wherever the rabbi went, you would go with the rabbi. And it was a chance of a lifetime. And people would know, oh, you're with him. Listen to them because they're with him. You wanted to be a disciple, a student, an apprentice of the rabbi and you wanted to be with the best rabbi and so the student would be examined to see if he was ready to take on what's known as the rabbi's yoke and and those of you who've studied jesus a long time you you know that jesus says take my yoke upon you and learn of me right my yoke is easy my burden is light my yoke is well-fitting Now, a rabbi's yoke is the rabbi's teaching, the the rabbi's philosophy, the rabbi's way of life, the rabbi's interpretation of the scripture, because not every rabbi interpreted the Bible the same way. Shocking. Right? So you wanted to be very careful about what rabbi you went to, and the rabbi was more than careful about who he thought could follow him. And Jesus, of course, as a rabbi is going to say to his disciples, Uh, Later, you think you can take on my yoke? You think you can do what I do? Because it's going to include the cross for him. The rabbi's yoke. So, this is where it gets very exciting. You've been through Beit Safari. You've been through Beit Talmud. You, perhaps, 
Now you've presented yourself. It's all on the line. Your whole life before you. And you say, yes, I want to be Beit Midrash. I want to be with you. I want to go where you go and do what you do. And if you were deemed the best of the best of the best. The words that little Jewish kids around the world would wait to hear. Are the two words of the rabbi. Follow me. You say that with me? Follow me. That you were waiting. You were hoping in the same way that Megan was talking about times a million. When it's time to get picked, you're waiting for the rabbi to look at you and say, follow me. In the Talmud, it says this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You see, the disciples of any rabbi would follow so closely that they would become covered in the dust of their rabbi. May you follow him so closely that the dust of his sandals covers you. That's the way the teaching was. That you would want to go where the rabbi went so closely, you would follow him so closely that you would be covered in his dust. And of course, the question for us is, are you covered in the dust of Jesus? Or are you covered by the dust of somebody else? An employer, something else. Who, whose dust covers you in your life? Who do you follow most closely? It was, it was something they waited for all their life. Now, a short life, of course, because these are going to be 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old folks normally. But here's the thing. For some Jewish boys, when the rabbis quizzed them, they were going back to this. Because when the rabbi quizzed them, the rabbi did not say, come, follow me. Right? It's only the best of the best. There were lots of folks that stood before a rabbi, and the rabbi goes, not you. Not you. But instead, they would say something loving and harsh and true. They would say something like, oh, my son, you do know the Torah. You do. And you know the Torah well. Yes, you do. But you are not able to be my Talmudim, my disciple, my student. I know you. I know your limitations. You're a good person. You love God. You love the scriptures. But you can't do what I do. So the rabbi would say something like this, go home, go home, go home to your village, make babies, and pray that they become rabbis. Go home and learn your family business, and maybe one day, one of your babies can be my disciple. So go home to farming, to carpentry, to fishing to hard labor. That's your life now. And maybe one day, one of your generation can do what I do. But it's not you. Go home. Because you won't be studying to be a rabbi. You just won't. So this would happen over and over and over again for most people. For most people. This was their lot in life. And so let's, let's remember where we've been. Um, last week, we talked about Jesus beginning his ministry here outside of Jerusalem, um, over here. Uh, he came over to be baptized by John. Jesus probably lived up here in Nazareth, um, and he would join those who were coming from here. Uh, Bethlehem is going to be right here where he was born, but he lived up here most of his life. And so scholars believe that Jesus came down, uh, and John the Baptist came up from the Essene community and was baptized around here uh, outside of Jericho. But now, in, in this next uh, chapter, what we find is if, as you zoom in on the map, now we're up here. We're at Capernaum. 
Here's the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Tiberias or the Lake of Gennesaret. Here's Nazareth where Jesus grew up. This is a lush, green, beautiful area, not like the desert um, where you find the baptism story uh, in chapter 1. So here is where basically this next story is going to take place um, up close. And it's a beautiful area. Um, as you know, we've been there a couple of times. It's, uh, you can ride a boat and um, kind of look around and, and see this. And if you want to, you can have um, a, an authentic first century uh, dish of St. Peter's fish. I know. But the tail's kind of crispy. It's kind of good. Okay? And so you can go and do this. So what does the Bible say is going on now? What, what happens as Jesus steps in? He, he has been a student of the scripture. Um, he has been baptized. He's been in the wilderness. And now he begins his ministry. And the scripture says this. In, we're still in chapter 1 here. It says, as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, right? He sees Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. What were they say with me? Fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Now, if you were Jewish reading this, you would say, what? Wait, 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 hold on. If they're fishermen, what that means is they've already gone to the rabbi and the rabbi said, you're not good enough. Go back to fishing. These are grown men. No, no rabbi goes to a grown man and says, follow me. There's a fisherman. They've already, you understand this. There's a set order to those who become followers, disciples of a rabbi. These aren't them. And Jesus looks at them and says, follow me. Jesus said to fishermen, follow me. And what was their reaction? According to the gospel of Mark. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Well, I guess so. Of course they did. This was a chance of a lifetime. It never crossed their mind that ever, ever they had given up that dream. It was past time for them. They were doing their work. And the best rabbi of all has called them, follow me. And as these stories go in the Bible, I love it how uh, if you read it as a whole instead of just in bits and pieces or on a meme, if you actually read the story together, it builds. Because this is the very first time Jesus calls, and he's calling grown fishermen. But then as he goes a little farther, he sees James, say it with me, son of Zebedee, Oh, so this isn't a grown person. This is a young man. He's a son of, right? We didn't get this with with, um, Simon Peter and Andrew, right? But now we're going younger. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately, Jesus called them. And they left their who? Their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So let's get this straight. So, so Jesus calls these grown fishermen, and now, in the very next verses, he's calling fisher apprentices. They're not even fisher folk yet, right? So, so when he says, go back and learn a trade, that's who these people are. So, so Jesus now, he, he's not calling the best of us, he's calling fishermen. Not only is he calling fishermen, he's now calling almost fishermen. 14, 15, 16-year-old kids. Uh, and you'll notice that later in the Gospels that, that John is normally thought of as by far the youngest. Because he is. He, he might be half the age of Peter. Th- these are young men trying to learn a trade. And Jesus calls them. And, and have you ever wondered if you were too young to have Jesus call you? 
And Jesus said to the boys, still learning to fish, say it with me, follow me. Those two words that people long to hear. So Jesus returns to his home in Capernaum. And you can go there today. It says Capernaum, the town of Jesus. Um, and you can actually go to the synagogue where Jesus taught and, and walk in the very area where Jesus was. Um, some of you will recognize yourself. Um, there's Pastor Andy there to the left. And uh, there's Melissa and Chantel and I and, and Alan and the Cathcarts. Um, you know, and Jeff, you're in there too. You got your little hat on right there. There we are. Right? You can be right there. And it's in this spot that the the scripture says that Jesus returned there. It's his home. This is where Jesus hung out. This is his life. And it's in that place that he meets Levi. Now, who's Levi? We're in chapter 2 now. He's called the fisherman. He's he's called the boys who would be fishermen. And, And the scripture says that Jesus went out again beside the sea. And the whole crowd gathered around him. And he taught them. And as he's walking along, I guess Jesus does a lot of walking. Same thing. He sees Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the what? The tax booth. Now, in that area, um, a tax booth is a lot like a tax booth today. You got to pay your money if you want to get down the road. Right? So that's one kind of tax booth. Um, And in some ways, that's what Levi did. Now, it's not the same as Zacchaeus. These are different sorts of agencies. Um, You might consider more of like Customs and Border Patrol. Everything that moved through Capernaum, it had to pass through Levi. Levi said, oh, uh, you're moving that that way? You're moving some olives over there? That's going to cost you. You got to pay me if you want to get them out of town. And then, of course, if you wanted to get back in town, you had to pay them coming that way too. And everybody knew it. Um, and if, if he was high up, and he may very well have been, he also had some muscle with him. So it wasn't just like you, you might or might not pay the tax. You were going to pay the tax. And it was up to Levi to determine how much you paid. And he would have a contract um, with, uh, most scholars believe, Herod Antipas, sort of the governor of the region uh, that was in cahoots with Rome. And, and he would make a contract with him in much the way Zacchaeus would make it directly with Rome. And so he could charge whatever he wanted. And everybody knew that. What they didn't know was what would, he actually owed Herod Antipas. All they knew is that he was charging them. And so the thing was, if you could get by with it, you could charge people as much as you wanted and make a very good living. You were hoping that lots of things went through the pipeline because you were getting money coming and going. And the people hated him. They hated him because they knew this. They knew that he didn't have to charge him, but he was. And they didn't know exactly how much he was supposed to charge him, but they knew he lived very well, better than the rest of them. If you're not familiar with the Roman Empire at that time, it's very large. Uh, You see Great Britain over here, uh, Spain, Europe, Italy, and from Rome... They covered all the way over through uh, Greece and Turkey and Syria. Um, Capernaum's going to be about here. And if you want to bring any goods from the north down to Africa through Egypt, you're going to have to get by Levi. There's a lot of money to be made. If you didn't want to take a ship from north to south and you wanted to go by land, you're going through Capernaum. You're coming by Levi's area. And Levi could charge what he wanted as long as the contract was paid. Everybody knew it. How do you feel about Levi? You know what Jesus says to Levi? Are you kidding me? I mean, really? And that is so not fair. Any any of you all ever 
um, been in a class uh, and there's going to be a curve, right? I mean, this guy should not be making the A. He didn't study. We, we don't know whether he went to Beit Sefer or Beit Talmud. And he certainly wasn't Beit Midrash. And if he was, I mean, what's he doing doing this other thing? And really, Jesus? He said to him, the scripture says, say it with me, follow me. And he got up and followed him. He did. Now, you could, you could argue that Matthew, Levi at the time, had a lot more to lose. Because he had it made in his own way. But you also wonder, maybe you've been in that job where you've got it made, but you come home and there's not a shower hot enough to get that day off of you. You just know that what you're doing isn't what you need to be doing, but it pays well. And to get your kids in the right schools and you run with the right people. But you hate yourself at night. That's who Levi was. And this is where it gets really weird. Scholars still don't agree on this one. It says, and as he sat at dinner at Levi's house, the scripture doesn't actually say Levi's house, it says at his house. And so people don't know whether Jesus actually had him to his own home or whether it's at Matthew's home. But in any case, it doesn't matter. The result's the same. Jesus is hanging out with people that no one else thought he should hang out with. The scripture says, as Jesus sat down uh, at, at his house, whether it's Levi's or Jesus, many tax collectors, not just Levi, and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Well, who are these sinners? Now, the thing is, we, we misunderstand this. Oftentimes when we think of sinner, we think of like bad people. But that's not the way Jews understood it. There were religious people, and then there were non-religious people. There were practicing people and non-practicing people. And so these really, you know, sinners that they're talking about uh, looks like this, right? Um, they're drinking some things that your group might not drink. They're eating some things that your group might not eat, right? So sinners here simply means Jews who do not observe dietary or other laws. And we don't know what those other laws are. Now, it could include uh, sort of big stuff in our culture like adultery. Like, oh, wow, you know, that is really bad. But it also might simply mean um, that they're drinking caffeine when other people don't drink caffeine. So it's a very broad category. Does it make sense? And in other um, sort of areas, you might think of it, uh, if, if there was a different tradition, they would say, you know, the lost. Well, you can be lost and have your life a mess, but you can also be lost and be a very immoral, upright person. You just don't have a relationship with Jesus. But you see what I'm saying? And that's, that's how they saw it in the Jewish community. It's simply other. And here, isn't that still true today, that oftentimes we simply assume that other means bad? It doesn't. It just means other. It just means other. So here's the thing, friends. If you look at who Jesus chooses, Jesus chooses Levi because his movement is for everybody. And if Jesus can choose Levi, Jesus can choose you. He can. There's no reason... For you delay stepping into your relationship with Jesus because you don't think you're good enough, smart enough, right enough, whatever. You don't need to worry about that. Because you never know, even when other people say one thing, God looks into your life and sees another. I came across this this week and uh, maybe it will say what I'm trying to say even better. Let's take a look. Hello. Hello. What's your name? Um, Would you like to take a seat? Thank you. Where, Mum? Over here. Right, let's have a showtime. 
Hi, I'm Donna and I'm Andrew's mum. Andrew started showing interest in dance when he was about 11. He really got into Strictly Come Dancing. He used to reenact all the dances in our living room. He had a natural rhythm. He knew to put a tango face on or shake his hips to the samba. It just made him feel joyful, and that's what started him on his love of dance. Andrew, when he walks, he is quite flat-footed, and he, I call him the plodder, and we have a bit of a laugh about it, but he stomps around. But when the music comes on, he has balletic movements. He points his toes. He is just so graceful. Dance has helped Andrew's confidence enormously. His self-esteem has rocketed. To see Andrew on The Greatest Dancer auditioning for all these people, I would be so proud. Beyond proud. Come on, Andrew. This feeling inside my bones, it goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. Yes, Andrew. All through my city, all through my home, we're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got Let's go, Andrew. Sunshine in my pocket, got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my back. Hold on, Andrew. It drops. Look at what he's like. Jesus looks at you and he says, you are amazing. You are the one I have chosen you. I've chosen you. I don't care what other people think. Now, that's unexpected, isn't it? Uh, For me, I wasn't expecting him to do a one-handed cartwheel into the splits. (laughs) Jesus sees in you things that only Jesus can see. You don't need to be afraid. Be fearless. Step into the life that he has for you. Don't listen to the doubters. There's always going to be doubters. There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people that don't think you should be doing what Jesus asked you to do. When the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, those ne'er-do-wells, they said to his followers, why does he eat with them? Why? 
When Jesus heard this, he says to them, now notice he doesn't duck the question. Jesus simply says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Notice it doesn't say he ran off to a quiet place. No, he just looked at him and said, look, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. The outsiders, the people that you've written off. I'm here. I'm with them. I'm here. I'm with you. I choose you. I choose you. So friends, with all that I am, I want to implore you, do not be afraid to say yes to Jesus. He will take care of you. Wherever he's calling you, however he's leading you, say yes to him. Say yes to him. And I say this as a constant warning to our community. And never be afraid when Jesus says yes to someone you wouldn't. Because that's equally valid. We need to make sure that we keep our place, our place, and Jesus' place, his place. King of kings, Lord of lords, judge of all. So you don't have to be afraid for his call on your life or his call on someone else's life. And as a way to help us live into this, I will invite you to do something that that might require a a lot of bravery, a lot of courage, maybe some vulnerability on your part. And that is to actually share a meal with someone that you don't understand well. Someone that you just really don't understand. Somebody who's other. Somebody that uh, the scripture would say is a sinner. Somebody who doesn't live your lifestyle, doesn't live... Uh, eat the food you eat or drink the food, the, the, the things that you drink. That might be somebody else. And, and sit with them and love them and bless them because that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. And make no mistake about it, friends. If you're within the sound of my voice today, Jesus looks at you and says, you are amazing. I made you. My father created you. In your mother's womb, I knew you. You're amazing. Follow me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the call on all of our life. Those two beautiful words that reminds us we are enough because you say we are. Because you say we are. Because you are the one that chooses. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for it. In your wonderful name, Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.